Hello everybody, this is Charlie from Live Work Play Japan, and you're listening to the Live Work Play Japan podcast. This is episode 4 and the first podcast of 2017. Martin and I sat down on Skype to go over what happened with Live Work Play Japan in 2016, our first year, and what will be in 2017. So we talked about traveling to Japan, getting a visa, how to find good work, and how useful speaking Japanese has been for us both inside and outside Japan. Uh, we wrap it up with a little bit about the grandpa method, which we love so much. So, without further ado, please listen through and、uh, enjoy. Welcome to 2017, and you are listening to the Live Work Play Japan podcast. Here today we have Charlie Moritz. Hey, everyone. And myself, Martin Bragalone, and we are the. Together we have founded Live Work Play Japan. It's a website where we. Uh, try to help you guys to learn more about Japan, learn more about job opportunities specifically,、uh, opportunities to educate yourself, and anything to do with traveling, living, working, and just loving working in Japan. Yeah, we've been doing this for a, a little while now. It's, it's actually it's very close to a year.、Um, we started about the end of February 2016, so it's nearly a year since we started this website. We've had so many、um, connections with people. We've met so many of、uh, the people who have found our stuff really useful and, and found some really good jobs from you know, some of our works on the website. So,、um, Martin, what do you think?、Uh, of all the things that you've been hearing from all the people who have messaged us and, and found our stuff, like, what is the number one thing that people have been messaging us about and, and getting involved with? Yeah, I think there's, there's two real big ones. It's hard for me to really.、Um... Say which is more important. I think they're both、mm. important.、Uh, the number one issue people face is they want to come to Japan, but they just don't know how to do it.、Uh. Or something very similar, because、um, ultimately it's an, it, it is somewhat of an economic issue, right? You've got to have、mm. the money to come to Japan, you know, or, and you've got to make sure that you're. The big one is really having the assurance that you're going to have a, enough money to pay for your life in Japan. And if you've、mm-hmm. never come to Japan before, of course, there's a lot of unknowns there. The other one I think that we see, which is on that point,、um, the other side of the coin, is people who are already in Japan,、um, particularly English teachers,、mm-hmm. I mean, from every background, right? From the US, UK, Australia, Germany,、uh, a lot of Filipinos,、uh, people from Indonesia, on and on, and they feel stuck. They feel.、Um, That you know, they are teaching English in Japan, they're scraping by, and they know that there's other English teachers who are doing much better. They just don't understand what's the difference between them and the other person. How do they bridge the gap?、Mm, that's definitely true. And, and one of the things that、um, a lot of people I've、um, heard they always think, they always, always think that they need to get a master's degree to take the next step. And they're like, oh man, I just don't have the time, I don't have the money. Like, and they always look at the universities in Japan, the ones that are connected with、um, you know, foreign institutions, like, for example, Temple University here in Tokyo. And、um, they, they just go, like, oh man, like, the, the fees are so much, I can't afford to stop working and take a master's degree. And you don't need to do that. No, <laughs> you don't need to、no. do that. No, you definitely, I mean, and just like anything I think we're going to say is, you know,、um, I know people, one of my mentors, he, did, he went to Temple and he paid for his way, but he was getting paid very well out the gate. So he was able to do that.、Um, you know, but really, it's like anything. Could you, do, could you go that route? Could you go to Temple and get a much higher paying job? Absolutely. Is it necessary when all you want to do is, if you really thought about it, what would make your life much better in Japan? And for, for people who haven't been to Japan or don't 
I've never lived in Japan. You may not understand, but if you're going from making, um, let's say, two hundred fifty thousand yen a month, mm-hmm. about two thousand five hundred, you know, a rough estimate. If you go from that, where you're not scraping by, if you're even if you're living in Tokyo, you're not scraping by, especially if you have a roommate. But you're not really every month. You don't really feel that you have a lot left to save. You don't necessarily feel that you can take a lot of nice trips throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're you're limited. You're always looking at nicer things. You can't really participate in a lot of things, right? You can't always yeah. – you can't say I'm going to take a, a trip to South Korea this year and I think I'll take a snowboarding trip to Hokkaido. It's going to cost you and it's it's going to mean you're not going to save if you're also mm. going out to izakayas and on and on throughout the year. This was my problem because I liked traveling and I still <laughs> like traveling. Um, but I liked going out to izakayas. I didn't like saying no to my friends and I struggled with that for years because um, I wanted to save more money. And mm. I think – if you are like that, and I know what it's like to be like that, um, you would not realize if you could just make another three hundred thousand. Sorry, another yeah, <laughs> just an 000, additional three hundred thousand. <laughs> another another thirty thousand. So if you can go up to like um, two hundred eighty thousand, you know, need you hachiman a month, right? If you can get to uh, three hundred thousand, you know. Your lifestyle, really, you would be able to make a really, yeah. that difference. It, that does make a huge difference. I, I definitely feel like the biggest difference for me when I was – because I started out at you know, the standard 250000 a month um, teaching at an Aikaiwa in Fukuoka. And um, moving from that to 280 and then 320 um, when I started working in Tokyo – I mean, that was just huge. I mean, the first after two months, I had enough money to take a, a trip to Bali in the in the summer holidays, and uh, it was the first big holiday I'd had since I'd been in Japan because I just had the money to do it. Yeah, it's it's amazing, you know, because my the whole one of the reasons, at least not my whole reason, but one of my big reasons for wanting to live in Japan was just like you look at the rest of Asia, and Asia it looks so close. Of course, being uh. in the United States. Where I'm from, everything looks close. The reality is, it's not that close. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, everything looks so close. You're thinking, I was just thinking, wow, I'm going to live in Japan. I'm going to get to go travel in Japan, and I'm going to go to, you know, China and Korea and on and on. And mm. although I've been to a lot of these places, um, it didn't happen exactly the way I thought. And you know, honestly, it was money was the big reason. I just, you know, I went from in Yokohama, starting out making. Um, Wow, Juhachiman. So what is that? Oh, 180,000. 180, you know, at least oh. my, my living was paid for, though. I had my, you know, apartment paid for. And mm. so that was a big cost that wasn't paid for. But I was not doing the greatest. And mm. moving up to Tokyo, making more and more and more gradually. But still, I just couldn't. I basically would go to Osaka and Kyoto a few times or somewhere like that. And that was enough. I couldn't really travel anywhere else. Yeah. It wasn't until, um, for me, really the big change was when I, I moved up corporate, and I never was able to break that, that chain or that ceiling as an English teacher, um, and I wish I had. I wish I had known what I know now, mm. um, because when I did go corporate, then I had I had all this money. You know, for me it was a lot of money. It was I was literally earning you know almost triple what I was earning before. But I didn't have the time, so I just went to nicer bars, nicer restaurants, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, you know, I went to 
I went from Tipness, which I really hated as, as a gym. Um, if you like working out or if you like weightlifting and uh, you're used to having at least more than one squat rack or bench rack open, don't go to Tipness or Central Fitness. Um, so I was I was so excited. I got to afford Gold's Gym and those kind of things. But I was kind of sad inside because I was like, I don't have enough time to travel now. <laughs> Like all the English teachers. Yeah, that is definitely one of the things too is that um, even if you're – like whether you're an English teacher or a corporate person, like the holidays tend to align with everyone because you all get the same yes. holidays. You get Golden Week and you get um, and now Silver Week and all the, all the other – the same holidays as they do. So when you want to take a three-day weekend and go, oh, no, I'll just take a flight over to Korea and uh, it just doesn't, doesn't happen because the flights are so expensive because everyone has that time off. So everyone's taking their flights then. Yeah. I mean, wh- one thing I do think, um, I, I make a little plug here for our, um, we made a little guide for traveling in Japan. Um, I just clicked on it. I think it's like the, the was it the summer travel guide or the yes, one with the summer um, travel guide? Yeah. Yes. Mm. And, um, again, more stuff like it's so cool that you and I have like assembled all this knowledge. I wish I had known this stuff earlier. Basically, the places that are expensive, like what Charlie just said, right, where, you know, there's certain times of the year, like Golden Week, everywhere is expensive on Golden Week. You know, let's just mm. be honest. But the early, there are early bird deals, just like anywhere, right? You know, these travel agents, they love it when you come in for an early bird deal or you go online. Um, you can book places on Airbnb. Airbnb, it, it will vary, but a lot of hosts won't think that far in the, in the in advance. Mm. Um but one thing, you know, we put in that guide, like, we went on some pretty cool trips, and I was able to get at some really cool deals at the end, just thinking outside the box, you know? And so, one year, wanted to go up to, I wanted to go to an onsen, and didn't have a lot of time, had, had like a three-day weekend off, so I ended up going to, didn't realize it was one of the largest onsens, or is the largest onsen in all of Japan, and it's called Hawaiians, and it's a mini- Hawaii, but inside of a hotel. And it's really weird. Wow. It sounds really cheesy and stupid, but it's awesome. It's basically a mega pool, but it's an onsen, right? So wow. you've got several mega pool onsens. So for those you don't know, that means it's like actually thermally heated. It's not artificial. Um, like from, from underground volcanoes and stuff. Yeah. And so mm. you're basically in a water park, but it's all onsen. And there's also, there's outside areas. It was super cheap. It was, you know, it was like at the time I went with my special person. We'll just say like that. And uh, <laughs> the two of us, it was um, it was well even just to get there and back and have all of our meals covered. Um, I probably spent about Niman or Sanmanen, which mm. is you know two or three hundred dollars. I mean, it yeah. was I couldn't believe it. You know, so there's always there are all these special opportunities out there mm. if you're seeking the deals. You know. I think that's definitely one of the lessons that we've learned from 2016 is that um, so many people are like the, going back to your, what you said. The first issue was that people don't know how to come to Japan. They're worried about money as well. They're worried about how they can afford Japan. Japan is not as expensive as people believe from overseas. Um, if you haven't, you know, if you have, if you've just traveled to Japan or if you haven't been here, people hear a lot in the media about how expensive it is. And I think Japan recently got um, the number one most expensive city to live in the world um title and i disagree with that wholeheartedly like i really really strongly disagree if you if you i mean if you base it on like the price of bread or something then yeah because you know it's not a 
it's not really a bread eating country. You know, if you break, base it on the same or metrics as you would in the West, yeah, cheese, yeah, but definitely oh. not um, to live. Like you can you can live very very cheaply um, even in Tokyo, and I it really that's one of the things that I think really I've done me. it. Yeah. I've done it. And I think what what you're not factoring into is like, I mean, it's hard to compare. I mean, but let's say we're comparing to the United States. Uh, there's mm-hmm. very few cities in the United States where you can basically get around on foot. Mm-hmm. And you can go hundreds of miles without ever having to buy something, buy a car, rent a car. Mm-hmm. Not like Japan, not like especially in, in the big areas like Tokyo, um, obviously Osaka, Kyoto, Nara area. Um, mm-hmm. Hiroshima, you can go hundreds and hundreds of miles in any direction on trains and subway. You don't have to yeah, buy the public anything. transport is so good. I don't have to pay for gas. So you can just get up and go. And if you, yes, eating out can be expensive in Tokyo if you don't know where to eat. There are cheap places, but it's not necessarily that expensive to go to the supermarket either and kind of, you know, prepare a few meals and you can make some meals last. You know, so that, yeah, I don't understand where that's coming from. Um, but to be honest, I had that misconception about Japan actually while I was living there. Mm. And I know it sounds ironic, but I was in Japan for several years and I just kind of assumed this is one of the most expensive places in the world to live. Mm. You know, I just went along with that assumption. And when I first came back to the United States, I think I was in Japan for at least two or three years, hadn't even touched foot. I hadn't gone anywhere outside of Japan and went back to the United States and I was like, why is everything so expensive? <laughs> like, <laughs> I assumed everything would be cheaper and it was, it was, just, a, it was just a false um, misconception, you know, and I, mm. it wasn't based on any data or me like comparing apples to apples before that. It was just, you know, I'd heard that, I believed it and so I assumed it. I yeah, wrong. and don't compare, don't compare apples to apples because no, a- apples – Apples in Japan are huge and they're expensive. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just came, I just came back from England. Uh, I went back to England for for Christmas and um, I came back and I I realized, like you're saying, that England was so expensive because I hadn't been home for two years. And I went back and I was like, it costs like fifteen pounds for me to go into London from where I live, and it's like thirty minutes to King's Cross Station, and it costs fifteen pounds mm. for me to get and. 15 pounds is about 2,000 yen. Like, you can literally buy, uh, in Tokyo, you can buy the underground and the overground, or like every route, every train line throughout Tokyo, which is, you know, you know hundreds of stations possibly. And you can get both of those for like 1,500 yen or something. I don't, I don't even know if it's that much. I think it's cheaper no. than that. To go yeah. anywhere you want in Tokyo all day on all public transport. I mean, public transport in Japan is cheap and efficient and fantastic. And clean. Yeah, and and clean, and And the food is really different too. I mean, that's one of the the biggest things I noticed when I went back. I hadn't been home for a while, and English food um, compared to Japanese. I mean, Japanese food is very light. Yeah, I went home and it's just like very very heavy food, and uh, and you know I I felt I felt kind of like almost ill (laughs) for a while just because Japanese food is so healthy and actually not that expensive at all. I mean. like you said, comparing apples to apples, yeah, it might be. Japanese apples cost like 200 yen or something, 150 yen. <laughs> right. but they're huge. But in England, you can buy a bag of them for like a pound. But um, yeah, it's very, it's just a very different thing. Don't compare apples with, with apples because it's not fair in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing on that, um, if you do uh, want to check out our summer guide, 
and you're just thinking to come visit Japan, or if you're one of our listeners who lives in Japan, um, and I'm sure at one point you're going to want to have your parents come, which actually Charlie wrote a very nice blog piece about about having your parents come to Japan, what to do. Yeah, that was really fun. My, my parents came just just for like a week and you really have to think about, you know, having your friends come over is really different from having your parents come over. Um, Very. That, I mean, I think that, that article was really popular because a lot of people were saying like, oh my God, like my parents came over and this, this, exactly the same things I'm talking about where, you know, they, they, <laughs> they, they don't want to climb the stairs. Yeah, they, they get tired. They can't, they can't do all of the stuff in one day. <laughs> they can't be like, yes. yeah, let's just see everything. It's like, no, you need to space it out a bit more because my, I mean, by the end of the like, second or third day in Tokyo, my parents were just exhausted. They didn't want to do anything. I was like, come on, we haven't seen Meiji Shrine. We haven't seen Asakusa. <laughs> right, right. We haven't been to the top of Sky Tree. And, um, and they're just like, oh, can we just sit down we and have a cup of tea? <laughs> yeah, so that's definitely something to think about is, is when your parents come. My parents came and uh, we went everywhere. And actually one of the things they told me later was they, they didn't regret it, but they said, you know, because I took them. They saw Yokohama, Tokyo, Saitama to see an old friend of mine when I used to – because I used to study there. Um, we went on the Shinkansen all the way to Osaka. We saw Kyoto. Uh, <coughs> sadly, we did skip Nara. But, you know, sorry, Nara. You, you sometimes get skipped. It happens a lot. Um, I wish we wouldn't have, but you just can't. And we did Hiroshima and we saw the, you know, the Sakura. It was wonderful, but they were just exhausted. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say is that – and my parents were able to, to get this benefit. If you're having people come visit, one thing to never forget is the JR Rail Pass. Oh, and that, yes. That is just like – I don't know any other country in the world that has something like that. You can literally use all of the Japan railways. And railways – here's the cool thing. It's not just railways. It can be buses. It's anything that that company owns, which is a, a nationalized company. It's basically – I don't know if it's a company so much as a, a public entity um, that includes ferries. So like if you go from – like my parents, they were able to go from Yokohama to Tokyo and then Tokyo, they were, we were able to take JR all the way to um, uh, Kyoto, land there, Osaka, go to Hiroshima and then we took another train from Hiroshima to Miyajima the town, and then there's a ferry that's run by JR. We were able to take that, and they were able to use their JR Pass there too. Oh, man. That's really cool. Free for, uh, how much does it cost? It was a few hundred dollars? Included. Yeah, and actually, it's it's totally worth it, even just for, I mean, I went with my parents to to Osaka, and it was, I think, just for me, on the Shinkansen from Tokyo, was like, I don't know, Saman yen, 30,000 yen or something to go there and back. Yeah. Um, or nearly something like that, maybe 26,000 or something like that, 13,000 each way. And um, if you consider, my, I think my parents paid 200 pounds or 200 and something pounds for that. That's basically just for me to go there and back on the Shinkansen was the same price as their week-long uh, travel pass. So it's really It's ridiculous. Worth it. It's just incredible mm. that Japan has these things and Exactly. I wasn't. Now, one thing that uh, we should mention is that if you're a resident of Japan, uh, you're not allowed to get this the JR Pass. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're you have to order it from outside. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to order it from outside. They won't let you buy it from Japan. You could get it, but it's kind of hard and it's kind of I don't know a gray zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing to ne- to check out for is there is a seinen pass. So there's a young person pass. And it's not really just for young people. A lot of even Japanese think it's only for young people. Uh, we'll de- I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, 
but it's a week-long, very similar pass, and you can just basically go everywhere. Uh, and wow. it's it's a one one set free one set fee, um, open to the whole public, basically. So it's very similar. So I've met a lot of people on my travels who are um, on I forgot the entire name of it. CNN, you know, young people something something something, and I've met a lot of young people and thirty-five-year-old and forty-year-old and fifty-year-olds and even sixty-year-olds who are saying, "Yeah, I'm on the CNN, the Young Pass." Really? Yeah, and 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 so people don't realize it's not necessarily just for youth. Um, mm. It's it's for everybody. Um, but if you so if your parents are coming to Japan or your friends are going to come visit you, I would look into that. Um, we'll link to it in the show notes and make sure that you can see both. So your friends can get a nice pass, you can get a nice pass, and you can go up to Hokkaido and all the way down to Hiroshima if you want. That's you know, really cool. Um, yeah, I um, I really like traveling around in Japan. I mean, it does. Uh, it is strange. Like I had the same thing as you were saying earlier. Is that you come to Japan and you think it's so close to Asia, you want to go travel around Asia. But some holidays, it's like it's hard to get away, and it's re- but it's still really nice to just like travel around in Japan. It's so easy to get everywhere. The Shinkansen is like really really fantastic. I I love it. Even though it's it is expensive, but I really love it because you can just. I mean, I can be in Osaka in like three hours, and I live yeah. in Tokyo. It's like a th- I don't know, not a thousand kilometers. I don't know how far it is. It's it's pretty far. It's ridiculously it's 600, far. Six hundred, seven hundred kilometers. And you yeah, can be there in really, three hours. Really far. I've gone by car from Tokyo to Yokohama, and or, sorry, um, that's not that bad. But going from Tokyo <laughs> to go, Tokyo to Nara, I've done that by car. I've done Tokyo to Shikoku, which is a, a little bit past Kobe. It's a little island there. Um, super beautiful, super gorgeous. I think on a bus, it. that's about 12 hours though. Yeah. 15, maybe <laughs> more like it's, 15. Yeah. But on the, on the Shinkansen, it's like nothing. Oh it's, yeah. It's, it's like two yeah. or three. Right. Cause you get to get, you get to cut through the mountains, but in the car you have to go up and around and on and mm. on. So, um, we're on the topic of travel. Um, but I, I did want to touch back on our originally where we started this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basically the two big pain points that people are talking about is basically just comes down to it. Let's just say what it is. It's making money. The big pain point in Japan is how do you make enough money? Um, and most people, right? I came into Japan with Japanese language education, mm-hmm. right? And most people come here, they come to Japan, they start catching up. So they start learning Japanese once they get to Japan or on the plane or just a little before <laughs> Maybe they've learned for years, but they, they really don't get to that point where they can really utilize it in society. So, you know, as an English speaker, I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you're some form of English speaker, whether native or or a second language. What options are there for you? Um, we do cover more options in our in, in the blog a lot. We talk about it in the, in the website. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously the big one is English teaching, right? That's the big mm-hmm. one. And it's because so many people are getting into English teaching – I don't want to say at all that it's saturated. It's not. It simply isn't. Um, but there are a lot of people coming in and a lot of companies that will pay you <laughs> penny, pennies Nothing. in the yen. Yeah. Right? So you have to be careful and you will read a lot of bad news you know, on the internet. Uh, be careful mm. when you go on Reddit and Yahoo forums and on and on and Facebook. There's a lot of people who have been burned, uh, people who didn't understand what they were doing, what they wanted, um, other people just complaining. Um, but again, we, Charlie and I both know a lot of people who do very well in Japan. We've found our way. Charlie's doing much better now than he was before. And, Mm -hmm. um, so that all that knowledge 
we did our best to put into our guide on um, do you need a TEFL to be in Japan? Because that's one of the big issues. Mm. And so we cover much more than the TEFL. We cover – what would you say we cover? I mean, why don't you give a little synopsis of, of, the, of the guide, Charlie? Yeah, well, we, um, we did the, the Teaching English in Japan advanced guide. Like, we wanted to make sure that, um, that we could give all the information that we had learned just from, I mean, I've, I've been an English teacher a lot longer than you. I think, um, you got out of that pretty quickly and got into the corporate stuff with, I think there's a lot more, um, there are a lot of opportunities, especially if you can speak Japanese. Um, but yeah, I, I basically went from the same kind of thing as, as, uh, most people going, getting to Japan on a standard Eikaiwa contract. And I was only making two hundred fifty thousand a year, and actually they they somehow won their way out of giving me my my full bonus with uh, oh yeah well you only worked from August to to April so your bonus is only twenty thousand instead of eighty thousand and I mean they 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 always find their way to save money and they don't really care enough about the the staff to keep them on like if you wanted to be a good school a lot of I mean in all these places they're just there to make money they they don't care they just need a um, a foreigner in the room. I don't know. Um, yeah, to, exactly. That's a lot of these. And, and we discussed this also. Uh, we've discussed it many times in the website about different types of English teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and really knowing this, just just knowing, really, really, truly, knowing this knowledge of the different names and categories of English mm-hmm. teachers, it just puts you in such a better place. Because there's certain – the more you understand the trends in each category – you can avoid a lot of these pitfalls, right? Mm, so let's talk about yeah. the, the most common one, I would say, and I don't have the stats in front of my eyes right now, and it's it's Japan. It's really, if you know anything about Japan, it's notoriously hard to find public data on just about anything mm. because people don't take much data on relative things um, mm. to business. But mm-hmm. talking about categories, I would say Eikaiwa, right? That's probably the most common type. And Eikaiwa literally means in kanji, English conversation. And this is mm. usually, not always, uh, it's a very big category, but a lot of times it's in a, a corporate building and, you know, it looks like just like a, a business, um, but it's actually, instead of a school, it's, it's, it's a, it, they call themselves schools, but, you know, you go It's like there, a, a classroom, I guess. Right, kind of. It looks more like a, looks like more like office cubicles, right, in most cases. Mm. Like when I think about most of the Eikaiwa I know, now, mm. Eikaiwa can be really okay, really, really, really bad, and there's a few good ones, and there's a few good opportunities, I would say. Yeah, right? I agree. Yeah. And, and I know people who've been in all of them. I've seen all of these levels, right? Um, but it's very easy to just get into somewhere that is just like – especially a private Eikaiwa that only has a few schools. Um, a lot of these might be just started by somebody who just had some money. A Japanese person had some money. They're like, hey, let's get some foreigners in here and they'll teach English and we'll make money. Mm. And then <laughs> it's really hard. Marketing marketing to get people into these places is super hard. Um, so if you have any business skills, you actually have some opportunities here. Um, mm. Don't just look at any opportunity in Japan as just what it is. It's mm. in, When you're in Japan – you have so many more opportunities if you just get to know people, get to meet people. And, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's really hard to market these. A lot of people aren't good at it. 
but companies just, will sorry, just to quickly just to quickly uh, interject on that one. I think that's definitely something that we want to talk about more in 2017 is finding opportunities that aren't just um, you know looking for a job on on a you know job board or something. Looking into stuff like how you can find opportunities for yourself and how you can how you can basically work the Japanese system to to find work that's really really much more engaging for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why don't well you know you're you're pretty qualified to tell us about that. I mean, you've been doing some pretty interesting things in 2016. Yeah, 2016 was a it was a weird year for me actually. I I I started off um, I was still teaching um, at a kindergarten and uh, I was getting paid really well. I was getting paid really really well. I was making three hundred twenty thousand a month and uh, four hundred thousand a year in bonuses like That's spread throughout the year, um, which is pretty good money. But um, I. You know, it was also really, really hard work. A lot of, um, a lot of overtime hours, a lot of weekends, um, and uh, I, I had so many things that I wanted to try. So I went part time as an English teacher in March, um, and actually found that doing a few part time jobs you can earn more money. I had some months where I made, I there was one month um, in the summer where one of the other teachers um, from the school that I was working at part-time was, uh, was quitting very suddenly. And I you know, said, oh, yeah, I'll help you out. You know, I've got the time. I can, I can cover that person's shift. And I, so I covered the sick person. I also had another job where I was um, making money on a different, um, a different day. And I also had uh, my, my website design business that um, I had a client for. So I ended up making, I think, 650,000 yen that month. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I mean, doing doing what I what I've done this year, which is um, like matching together part time jobs to make a full time salary, but not with as much um, hours and as much time investment. Um, that that really has been. Um, you've, I remember though that like you you have a few more other English teaching things in there too, right? Like yeah, your girlfriend, you teach her boss. And his like friend, you like you go out to the bar with them like what every week or something, and they pay you, they pay you uh, ichimane or something like that, right? Yeah, that's really cool. Like um, actually, corporate business, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of opportunities if you just meet people. Like if you have a if you have yeah. a way in, I think Japan is a great place for um, oh, what are they called? Like first uh, or like friend of a friend connections, basically, yep. um, like second circle connections. So it's not you know, your friend's company that you get the job. It's like your friend knows a guy who needs an English teacher or needs a, a foreigner to help. Him exactly. I don't know, whatever, whatever it could be. Mm. That's exact. That's exactly it. And that's basically how you got, then you also started working for a, did you interview with a, a drama? Cl- it was, Oh no, it was a, um, a lecturer, right? That's where you in- interviewed mm. as well. Yeah. Um, there was, uh, I mean, I've done a lot of things this year, a lot of really interesting stuff. I'm mean, going back to the, the that corporate one. That one's really interesting because um, there's a company that have um, they have international business. They do a lot of international business, but most of their um, people doing that are either Japanese people who speak English as a second language, or um, a lot of these companies they hire um, Chinese people because Chinese people they can they can speak Chinese so they can do business internationally with China, but they also speak English with. Um, other countries in Asia. Um, most most countries in Asia. I mean, a lot of them have people who speak English. Um, yeah. You know, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, Singapore. They they're speaking yep. English to do business. I know um, a little bit about those places. Yeah. So if you're a second a second language speaker of English, you know they 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 really value having a native English speaker come and teach their um, their sales staff how to do 
how to speak English well for business. So right. I basically I go. Um, it's not once a week. I wish. I wish it was once a week. Um, it's maybe once a month or twice a month. You know, if you found something like this, and it's not that hard to find. I know people who have found several business clients. Um, you know, in Tokyo, just. Oh yeah, I'll come along and teach you some English, and they'll pay you well. Like corporate, they have a lot of money for it. Where you have to not be looking for it to find it. (laughs) You just have to Mm. be like being in Japan is. It's really important to be in the right places. So I've always Mm. told people like, if you're an ambitious person and you're very gregarious, socially open, and you're Mm. open to a lot of things, I always tell people, you know, like they say, should I come to Tokyo? Will be worth it? It's more expensive, and I just say, come. You will find opportunities. Mm. And granted, there are people that just aren't meant for it. I, you know. Um, I've, I've met, you know, I had a good friend from Finland. She just couldn't stand that there wasn't enough nature, but I've met so many other people that do like you do. They just climb the social ladder and it just, I don't know how to describe it. You just not even climbing. You just, you just kind of, you run into people and you go to the right restaurant and there's someone there, you know, and they're with somebody else mm. and then you sit with them, you know, and you're open to that. If you're open to a little bit of change and variability and another thing is you kind of got to get settled, right? You were in a place mm. where you were settled in Japan. You already speak enough Japanese. You can get around. You um, have been working. So when you started to scale back, what really started to happen is opportunities just kind of started showing up. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. And it, it, it doesn't really happen the other way around in life. It never has. It's never happened that way for me. You kind of yeah. just got to close some doors and all of a sudden things open. And being in the right place, Tokyo – some amazing doors can open. Yeah, it's really weird how that works, actually, because I was I, I didn't start out living in Tokyo. I think you you went to Yokohama first, um, is that right? Or Saitama? Uh, yeah, I mean, Yokohama. I studied I studied abroad in I was in um, Saitama for a year, mm-hmm. and Yokohama was like I don't know I, I didn't really like Tokyo originally, <laughs> but yeah, because you lived uh, in Yokohama. <laughs> yeah, well, I lived in in Saitama in the north. And I was – I'm a country guy. you know. That's actually where I come from. And so I was kind of adverse to Tokyo. But I used to have this friend that I would go visit in Minato Milai in, in Yokohama, in the Bay Area, Chinatown. And I just thought all of Yokohama is like this beautiful bay. Well, <laughs> I went and lived in Yokohama. It's actually the it, – the size of Yokohama, the city size is actually possibly larger than the area in, um, in, in Honshu of, of Tokyo. It's a massive, massive city. And I ended up in the middle of that for a year. Mm-hmm. So uh, the re- I did go to – end up going to Tokyo. I think I was kind of pulled there. Yeah. And, um, it had, this, it's like a, it's like a, a planet. It, it has a, a gravity field of its own. It Everyone does, en- it, ends up getting pulled to Tokyo. And the reason I – and actually this, this is the motivation or the inspiration behind um, our guide we wrote on meeting friends in Japan. Yeah. And – I was lonely. I was a young person. I mean, really lonely because I didn't know any other young people who were in that area of Yokohama. I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And I would go to bars. I just did everything I knew to meet young people. I tried to look on meetup.com and there was just nothing where there were a lot of young people uh, in that little area. I had to always go. There were some cool things near Yokohama Station, Minato Milai, which is cool. Um... But still, it was kind of just not the same. And luckily, though, I did have a lot of friends who I studied abroad with. And a lot of mm. them were Japanese. Some of them were Chinese who also started working. They're the Chinese again. Um, some of them were European, wherever. 
And basically, like, they would live in Yokohama, or they were living in Chiba and Tokyo and Saitama. Nobody, I, I thought this was very strange. This is cultural difference right here. Uh, where I'm from, like, I'm from a certain area of Michigan, right? And if I want to see you and you live in Chicago, I will go see you. And then I'm hoping that eventually you'll come and see me. We, we don't we don't really think of it any other way. But in, in Tokyo, they do what's called, you know, chukai. Um, uh, chukan, sorry. Chukansuru, which is basically, let's meet in the middle. And so nobody wanted to meet me in Yokohama. I thought I was in like this romantic city and it's going <laughs> to be great and everyone's going to come visit me. Nope, nada. Uh, only one person living there for over a year came to visit me. Only one of my friends. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone else asked me to come to Shinjuku, Ikebukuro, Shibuya, uh, you know, on and on. And it was always for like these big izakaya parties. And um, it's really weird. It was not like, you know, you think like if, if you want to meet up with uh, Kenji-san, you will just meet up with Kenji-san, right? Mm-hmm. Not Japanese. A lot of times they'd be like, oh, Martin-san, I find this there. Yeah, I want to see you. And I'd be like, great. So we met, you know, texting online, whatever. And they'll be like, all right, how about, you know, um, next month on the 19th? I'm like, uh, <laughs> what? Like, let's just hang out this weekend, dude. But no, nope, yeah. nope, not them. And then you go there and it's like, you know, you got to pay like a certain amount of money for the izakaya. And like, there's like 10 people. Mm, I've definitely noticed kinda, that too. Mm, that you always have to go to a central place and because of those because those central places are Shinjuku or Shibuya or um, you know places Ikebukuro. around there Ebisu yeah Ebisu Ikebukuro and stuff like that they're very very expensive because all the you know the, the I guess the rent for the um, properties there is expensive so you end up spending huge amounts of money on these izakayas and you have to travel as well if you if you don't yeah. live in the center it was killing me economically and I wasn't really it was it almost made me like almost more I mean, I hate to sound like, you know, pathetic, but I felt more lonely because it was like I had these friends, but nobody, <laughs> nobody would come like chill at my house. Yeah. And, like no one would invite me to their house. And, you know, I just and a lot of foreigners do talk about this. Um, I think over time, I just kind of matured and got different friends and started moving more centrally. Eventually, yeah. I, the big planet Tokyo um, I ended up in my dream location, which was one of the ones you mentioned, Ebis. And it was mm. awesome because it was like friends would be like, oh, Martin, I taina. You know, I'd be like, all right, cool. And they'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, well, how about you come to Shibuya? And then I'd go walk to their house. You know, <laughs> meet them. I'd leave like 10 minutes, be, you know, from my house, like take a shower, like just 10 minutes before I want to meet the person and meet them on time. You know, mm. it was great. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I still don't live in the center of, of Tokyo, but I would quite like to move into there next year just so that I can – I mean, I'm. Uh, this is another thing that we're going to talk about more in 2017 that I'm going to write something on is um, doing uh, – being an entrepreneur or being a, um, a freelancer in Tokyo. Um, there are so many opportunities for freelancers here that you don't even know. And actually, um, because of – one of the things, because of a recent change in how they've – um, given visas, they they change the way they, they give the visas in 2015. Is that um, a lot of teachers will be on a um, international exchange and humanities visa, and what they did in 2015 was that they combined that with the engineer visa. Um, yeah, I think it's because uh, you know some engineers would come to Japan and they'd struggle to find work, and so they made it so that they could also get jobs teaching English while they were 
you know, looking for the right engineering jobs for them. And that's another thing that we talked about in uh, this year was the visa guide. Yes. A, a whole section about, um, and, and it's really long, there's a lot of stuff. And also for people who are not uh, just, you know, applying to be English teachers from America, for people coming from Asia, there's tons and tons of information on there for all the people coming from Asia. I mean, there's so many, so many ways that you can come to Japan now. I think they're making it more and more open every year because they just need foreign workers to, to offset the, the sort of the low birth rate. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's definitely multi, it's definitely very complicated. Um, mm -hmm. you know, well on the visa guide, the whole inspiration for writing it <laughs> and a lot of these, and we, we love it guys. If, if you're listening to this, like talk to us, you know, just like ask us questions um, because these are basically like where we get our inspiration to write these things. Mm. And the whole inspiration was we were talking to this really nice guy from Azerbaijan. Yeah. And he really wants to come to Japan, but it's, you know, you can just imagine it's just so And he was hard, speaking right? Japanese too, right? He, he, yeah. he was like learning Japanese on, by, his, by himself, yeah. like using like using like italki and using the online stuff to – to speak Japanese and he was like talking to us in Japanese. It was yeah. really, really impressive, but he, yeah. he was just terrified of, uh, of the difficulties coming to Japan with. And we also get a lot of inquiries from people from India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, um, Indonesia. And the good news is, is that for some of these countries, it is getting a little easier mm. um, to get visas in Japan, but the information is very kind of all over the place. Mm. And I, I found that actually I was able to find some central information um, but just interpreting it. And so that's really all the guide is because we're not lawyers um, or anything like that. So that's what we wrote that guide for. And it's just um, if you're from like a country, a com country like Germany, uh, Europe, you know, some of the – especially the countries like, you know, Canada, uh, you know, the guide may not be as, as useful for you because you just basically just come to Japan, you know, and you can figure things out. But for people from India and Indonesia and Malaysia – um, it's a little bit more complicated, especially like the Philippines. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think we're going to see the 2020 Olympics here. So Japan has been really quickly easing visa restrictions for a lot of different minority groups or, or country groups. And I remember mm -hmm. a big change happened um, while I was in Japan. Um, right around 2000, uh, when I first came to study abroad, um, I want to say 2009 or 2008, there was a new law that basically made it much easier for um, mainland Chinese people to come in Japan. And they just came. I mean, now you can't go to 7-Eleven without seeing a Chosan <coughs> or a Osan. And, you know, and you know, just looking at the Katakana name or the Kanji name, like it's a Chinese person. Um, but back in the day, uh, from what I understand, that was not the case. Most universities, you would have seen Taiwanese and Koreans. And a mix of their economies at that time kind of went a little low, and China was doing really well, and then Japan opened up. So you see a lot more Chinese. Now, Southeast Asia. So you're going to see a lot more Vietnamese, um, more accessibility to Filipinos, Indonesians, who had a much harder time to get in Japan. And now they're able to, to get a one-month um, sometimes. In the Philippines, I think still is a 15-day. Um, unless they apply, but things are opening up. So if you're from other countries, check out our visa guide and, uh, do know that things are on the up and up. Mm. 
and actually don't be too afraid of um, needing to speak Japanese too. I mean, I didn't know any Japanese when I came, like you said earlier. I was studying, I was studying on the plane. It's funny when you said that because I was doing the same thing. I had my, my charts with hiragana and katakana, just trying to find out like how do I, how do I read this and, you know, figuring out how I would be able to read a, a menu or something in a restaurant. But um, it's, it's not as difficult to get around Japan without speaking Japanese. I mean, of course, like um, you've, you've had a lot of success because of speaking Japanese, but um, you know, you've managed to, to do all the, the work that you've done in corporate stuff in Tokyo, but you don't, even for, I, I we know people in every single kind of career who don't speak a single word of Japanese. I know people yeah. who have been here for years who are married to Japanese people, like uh, married to Japanese women and still can't read hiragana. And, uh, yep. and they, they, but they still get by because that's the thing. If you if you're working in an environment that's you know all in English, um, you don't you don't necessarily need Japanese. If you can speak enough to order something in a restaurant, you know, if you can point at something and say "koryokudasai" or something, then you can get by. You know, you don't need to. You know, your company will deal with all of the your taxes and stuff, so you don't need to learn how to do your taxes. You don't need to. I mean, uh, still, I would say. It's worthwhile. Um, I'm not saying that we. Sh- I'm not saying that you shouldn't learn Japanese. And, and you wrote a piece uh, recently about your experience from um, going outside of Japan and finding how useful it is. And I actually had the same experience in South Korea when I was going through there on my way back from the UK. Um, it's funny. I was trying to explain something to one of the um, the flight attendants, or, or like no, not flight attendants, one of the staff in the airport, and she wasn't getting it. And I switched to Japanese, and suddenly she was like, "Oh yeah, I speak Japanese. Okay." And I was like, "Oh wow, that's fantastic." So yep. even, Japanese is a very useful language it's, outside it's, it's of not Japan. What people and say it is. It is an international language. It's it's mm. not the international language. It's not French. Mm. It's not mm. you know Spanish. It's not Spanish. It's not English. But, but it is in Asia. It's very much an international lingua franca, in, in one of, and you know, I've experienced that for many years. Um, you know, going to Taiwan, I just couldn't believe it. Like I, I went with I went to Taiwan with two Japanese guys, and so we're speaking Japanese the whole time. You know, this was back in like two thousand nine, and people would come up to us speaking Japanese. You know, and. I couldn't believe how these Chinese, like the Taiwanese, would would understand this because we would pass by, not even speaking, and they would just see my Japanese friends, and they would go from you know saying basically welcome to our store, you know Huaning Guangling, and then they'd they'd all of a sudden see us, Irashimase, come on in, you know, and um, people would come to us speaking in Japanese. So from a young age, or I don't know, young age is the right word, but from uh, early on in Japan and going around Asia, I've seen that. You know, Japanese is very much a lingua franca. And then Marco, who was uh, the first podcast guest and my roommate for many years, uh, we decided uh, just earlier, when did we go? Um, This summer, this last summer, we went to Thailand. And I went to Thailand in 2015, loved it. I was staying there for about a month. um, And I was just blown away by all the Japanese in town. I lived at a Japanese guest house. Mm -hmm. So... I spoke Japanese every day and it was very comfortable, you know, very comforting being in this foreign country to me and there being Japanese around and being able to speak Japanese. And so mm. Marco wanted to experience that as well. So we we went to Japantown. That's where we stayed in Airbnb. And, you know, we were able to speak Japanese with our hosts. Our, there was a cafe next door run by Japanese and we went there to work on our computers like every day. We met up with Japanese friends. And so it's just, you know, and, and not only Japanese, but there were Thais that spoke Japanese. 
I spoke to a lot of Thai people in Japanese. It was really weird. But yeah, and it's interesting because you speak Chinese as well, right? So you, if you can, you can speak Chinese and Japanese, but you're finding that Japanese is is uh, you know as much a lingua franca as Chinese is in in Asia. It's they're very different, but yeah, you. I think more and more you will find people. It's hard to describe. I mean, there's. I think Chinese comes with uh, when you're in Southeast Asia, especially like Vietnam. I mean, living there, I live there now. It was six months. I can't believe it. Um, over this past year, um, and Vietnam in particular, because Japanese investment is just booming, and as well Korean, very popular mm. now. So these are very popular languages, and you see a lot of young people. And um, I remember being in Ho Chi Minh. I was working. I was translating Japanese, sitting there in this cafe. And all of a sudden, these Vietnamese, young Vietnamese girls come into this cafe and they're sitting down and there's this Japanese dude and they're all speaking Japanese. And he's training them because he's going to start a restaurant like so many other Japanese are right now in Ho Chi Minh. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's really ridiculous. But coming here to America, this is where Japanese have actually been doing business for a very long time. So you have very well-established Japanese recruiters, Japanese recruiting agencies. We've we mentioned many in, in that blog post about is Japanese useful outside Japan. And I get called by these people all the time. I'm dealing with one right now. Um, there's Top. There's Mr. Japanese. There's so many. There's mm-hmm. Japanese-specific, um, what do you call them, job? Uh, boards. Job fairs. Well, there's fairs. job boards too. Job fairs, yeah. I was thinking of the job fair. There's a big one in Boston. There's a big one in San Francisco, I, which we I, I blogged about. And um, there's several that are in Tokyo and other places in the world. But they're specifically for – mostly for Japanese who studied abroad in the United States who want to come back to Japan or who have already worked in, in the United States. But they're very open as well to um, Americans and, and whatnot who speak Japanese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's it's funny um, you were mentioning that, that you went uh, you went around with Marco. Like I I also um, I, I met you through Marco. Um, and That's true. Was, yeah, we lived we lived a very close uh, like one town over in uh, in Fukuoka when when I first came to Japan, and um, and that that podcast that you did with him that first podcast where we um, we es- what was it espoused the the grandpa method. I love the grandpa method. <laughs> I've I, I honestly like um, I I learned about it from you um, from from the stuff that you were telling me about that and um, bef- I think it was before you did the podcast and I used that a few times with um, with companies that I knew were looking for people and I actually got a job using the grandpa method that paid me six thousand yen an hour um, nice. for, you know, for just three hours a week but it's still like that was it's been sixty thousand seventy thousand yen a month for me um, for for a couple of months and I. Just ah, oh, it's so it's such a legit method that I I really want people to try this. We put it into the guide. Into it's the, so um, old. Yeah, and it's like so like <laughs> I think people are just like we're, we've become like we've become dumb with technology. Mm. We think that like everything's by email and phone, and it's like wait a minute, thousands of years ago, like if you were in Babylon and you wanted a job, you would go, you know, you would go there and you would ask. Hello, Mr. Farmer. Can I dig holes for your pigs? <laughs> like whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, right. And like, and like, who are you? And it's like, oh well, I know your, you know, your brother. And it's like, that's what people would have done mm. several thousand years ago. But people somehow stopped doing that. 
Yeah, and I think it's because of technology in a big way. Like, um, technology is very useful for, for passing information, but when you actually, I mean, this, the scientific reasons for this is like uh, the, the chemicals in your brain that are associated with meeting people and, and feeling that bond of trust, like oxytocin in your brain. It's something that doesn't, you, you can't, you know, text your way to getting that reaction. It's when you shake hands, it's when you meet a person, when you have a face-to-face meeting with someone, you, you your brain and their brain starts to release oxytocin and go, Okay, I know this person now, or like I've I've met There's somebody comfort. who is interesting to me, or you know I've had a um, an interaction. We're social beings, you know, we're social animals, and and I think using that method, especially in Japan, where you know people are very inundated with technology, and people are just using the job boards and using recruiters, and they're, they're not they're not necessarily. I mean, it's just not the done thing to go and introduce yourself to someone who's like, hey, I'm, I'm Charlie, I want to work with, you know, I want to work for you, I want to, I like your company, I want to, I want to do this, here's my CV, and meeting someone in, in, oh, sorry, CV, resume, you say resume in the States, um, and, ah, oh, man, it's just such a powerful thing, do, do you want to say a little bit more about um, how, well, yeah, I mean, I'll uh, just finish up here with just explaining, like, the, I mean, sorry to hear about the audio uh, with Marco and I recorded that, we were just walking around Saigon, and it was so hot, <laughs> We're just like we wanted to record a podcast. We tried outside; it was just ridiculously hot and loud. So we went inside mm. to um, uh, Bitexco, which is this huge building in, in Saigon. If you ever go there, it's it's like the biggest one, and um, it was as quiet as we could, but it wasn't that quiet. Um, and just kind of we were reminiscing about Japan and um, this one time that I remembered where basically Marco. It's it's kind of interesting. Like I was working in real estate. And uh, we had some clients referred Marco to a recruiting agency, and these are American-owned American-owned recruiting agency, and they recruit for IT. Marco tried it and hated it. <laughs> um, which is, by the way, if you speak Japanese or even if you don't, a lot of uh, recruiters end up. And Marco didn't really speak enough Japanese at the time to really do too much, but he did speak enough uh, enough to get on the phone and like get to certain people. Because all the people he was recruiting were bilingual, but he might have to call in and say like, "Oh, moshi moshi, uh, Tanaka san, irashaimasu ka," you know, like asking for certain people. So he knew enough, um, mm-hmm. but he hated it. He hated it. it was a phone job, and it was like him and I were both paying rent on an apartment that we neither one of us could have afforded on our own, not even for another month. You know, we just didn't have that kind of money, and we probably shouldn't have been living there, but we were there. So Marco just one day, he's like, I'm depressed, I can't stand it, and up and quits. Which sucked for me for two reasons. One, because like I introduced that client, and <laughs> that was a client of my own, and I we weren't done finishing the real estate contract <laughs> for them. We were looking for an office. <laughs> Needless to say, they were upset, but we were able to still finish the deal. Um, but it also sucked because I was scared that, what are we going to do? Like We can't pay for rent. And Marco was like, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so um, he was kind of nonchalant about it. But I basically I looked at him. I was like, dude, you need to figure out how you're going to find another job. What are you going to do? And he said, I'll teach English. So we mapped out a whole bunch of schools in the area. There was a school right next to us and a whole bunch of schools. And I said, I don't care if they're on Gaijin Pot. I don't care if they're on Ohio Sensei. I don't care where they're at. You go find their number. You go find them take print out your resume and you go in and talk to them and then you call them and then you email them but you go there first and i kind of said it in a very not not nice way um 
Like, get and, a job. We need to pay rent. <laughs> God like, damn it. Get a job. Right? But Marco was like, all right, dude, I'll try it out. And I didn't really expect anything, you know. But he started walking around. And he just started walking in places. And uh, he got thrown out of a few – not thrown, but kind of kicked out of a few schools. Mm. Um, they were like, no one does this. This is not done. And <laughs> so he got thrown out. But then he got – I think the first day he got a job offer for exactly the same salary that he was earning before. But he refused it. He just kind of didn't feel it. Mm. And he kept going and going and going. And eventually he got a job offer that paid him more money than he'd ever earned in his life. Wow. And how long did it take him to get that one? I think it was about a week and a half. Not even. God. And some people spend months looking around for the right jobs and stuff. But I mean – Getting yeah. a job offer in a week or a week and a half just from just from going in there and meeting someone and actually being a person. It's very easy yeah. to dismiss. I mean I know a lot of people, especially like um, now that I've been working in software and stuff, I know a lot of people who get just tons of emails with resumes and they don't read a single one of them. They don't it's read just them. you're tired and you're just like, oh, I'll get to it later. Well, I mean imagine if you're in a, in a company, like a, a good company or a company that's um, in demand and you get – 25, 30, 40, 100 emails a day with people saying, like, here's my CV, please hire me, here's my cover letter. It's like, oh, like, do I have time? Like, this isn't my job. I don't have time to read all this crap. Why yeah, don't I yeah. read this? This is why so, recruiters have their own jobs because people have don't have time for this. Mm. And, and I just want to finish up. Last thing I will say um, is that Remember this coming into 2017, and and this is the same in 2017. I don't care what's going on with Amazon, Facebook, uh, AI, whatever. For right now, there's nothing different from 2017 to what happened in Babylon and the Edo era. Um, essentially, you will always have more control when you initiate conversations. You will always have more control. So if you initiate a phone call, if you initiate that knock on the door – you always start from a place of control, a place of power. You may not feel it. You may not realize it because you're going to someone else's nest, someone else's place. You might they weren't expecting your phone call. They weren't expecting you. Who? They're not. Their brain's not ready for you. You come in them. You come at them with a, you know, you rehearse what you're going to say. You have your resume ready to go. It's very hard for people to refuse you in that place. You know, and so basically that's what happened with Marco. That's what happened with me as well. But Marco... Uh, one thing he even admits in the podcast is that he, the benefit of working in that recruiting job where he was cold calling was he basically just didn't care anymore. He, he mm -hmm. heard no so many times as a salesman. He just didn't care. And that's what you need. You just need that thick skin where, yeah, you have pride, but just go. And if, yeah, if one person says, okay, I, I, I'm not going to look at your resume, the next three or four, they won't say that. And eventually mm -hmm. somebody's just going to be like, you know what? We don't have a job, but you know what? I'll make one. Here. You, you're ready to go right now? Okay. We do – we recommend all those things. Those are all great, you know, but nothing compares to if you can come to Japan, um, be here. If you cannot come mm. to Japan, um, use your own phone number or get a Skype number. I, I, have, a, I have a Japanese Skype number, which I use, um, you know, or Google Voice. Whatever you want to do, you know, to call people in Japan because mm, it's just going to give you that little bit more power than, than – than emailing and you know and I, the last thing I do want to say is always when you get on the phone or when you this is so much easier when you're in person always get to a decision maker ASAP there's two types of people in that situation 
again, we cover all this in the blogs and everything and, and, and the guides. There are gatekeepers and decision makers. That's basically it. There's only two types of people as far as you're concerned. There's a gatekeeper and a decision maker. And the, the best way to get past the gatekeeper is to just come up there, come into the, the gate with a little bit more knowledge. And the way I do that is a lot of times when I'm looking at a company I want to you know, get in with, I'll go on LinkedIn or something and I'll find the specific names of people that I know are decision makers. They can make a decision about my employment, right? So if I know Tanaka-san is the main dude and then maybe Nakajima-san is the second main dude, I will go to the gatekeeper and they'll you know, say, oh, moshi moshi, hello, or you know, what can, how can I help you? I will not ask to see the manager. I will not ask, oh, I'd like to give my resume, blah, 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 because she's going to put me into the regular gate. I don't want that. I want to talk directly to the decision maker. So I will say something like, oh, is Tanaka-san in? Is Nakajima-san in? And if she doesn't ask you why, don't tell her. She doesn't need to know. Does not need to know. And if she asks you, just tell her very little, just enough. Oh, well, um, we needed to talk. Something very vague. Get to the decision maker. And the decision maker usually won't even be ready for you to be there. Mm-hmm. And when they, they see you, you give them the resume. They'll never forget you. Because mm. it's very uh, – it's, it's remarkable. It's, uh, yeah. You know, it's something and, and that you, you look at and go, oh, can, wow. Uh, you can ask them like – it depends. You don't want to be too pushy. But you can sometimes negotiate right then and there. You can say, oh, I'd, I'm ready to go right now. And they might just off the top of their head say, oh, well, actually we were looking for someone. Now, they might regret saying that later to you yeah. because you've – again, you've kind of put them in a position where they have to say something to make you leave, Right. Because they're like, oh my God, what am I doing? This person's in my space and I wasn't expecting this. And so in that time, you have a lot of control, a lot of power. You got to use it. Mm. So that's all I've got to say about that. That's, it's, it's really just a matter of doing the work, yeah. uh, which is a book that's actually on my reading to do, to, to read list this year is do the work. So it just really comes down to just doing the work, go there, meet the people, you know, phone calls are your second line of, def- are your second line of attack, emails, third. But number one is meeting people. There's nothing ever that will trump that. Nothing. Yeah. So definitely, I mean, for the for the people who are we're, just, we're you know, going to try and wrap it up now. Um, but for the people who really want to come to Japan, honestly, just come. Um, it doesn't, you know, you don't always, you don't have to have. Or I mean, a lot of countries now, you don't have to have um, a a job offer or anything on the table in order to just come here on a tourist visa. And just meet people, uh, meet people in person. It will just make a, the biggest difference. Everyone I've met who um, who's come here from another country that doesn't have a simple line to get here, like um, you know, from the UK, for me it was easy. I just applied for a job there, and and I, I mean, I still had to do some work and and meet companies, but uh, meet people from companies in the UK. But I got a, a job offer from the UK. But if you come here, that it just the floor opens. There's so much stuff that you can do. There's so so many ways that you can get a job here, and and they'll sponsor your visa. And you can once I mean once you have the sponsor, you can get here. So um, so definitely uh, try that in 2017. And, and basically, we're going to be talking more on Live Work Play Japan about all the things that you can do to to come to Japan, work here. Um, we're going to talk more about uh, the jobs that you can do, how you can gain the experience to get here and and uh yeah please do email us uh we if you join our mailing list uh we send out emails regularly you can just reply directly to any of those mails and that's about it from us at live work play japan uh we've really enjoyed the last year of writing articles and seeing how much it's helped some of you guys out there 
uh, make sure that you do like us on Facebook. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our email list. We're going to be sending out a lot of extra stuff on that list very, very soon. So yeah, we hope to see you guys on the website very soon. And have a fantastic 2017.